Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I am grateful you've joined us for another episode of the podcast where week after week, I have the fortune of speaking to amazing leaders who share their insights with you and hopefully inspire you. And if you like this episode, and I know you will, please share with others. Don't keep this resource to yourself. We want others to be able to realize great insights, rate, review, and download. And if you do that, that enables us to continue to bring great programming. And just know I am here to help the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow navigate your challenges with confidence. And so today, I am so thrilled to bring on to the Drop-In CEO podcast my guest, Paul Llewellyn. Paul is a civil litigator and trial lawyer who specializes in complex, high-profile litigation. He earned his law degree from Oxford University before practicing as an English barrister. After moving to California, Paul practiced at an elite Los Angeles litigation boutique, followed by one of the world's largest firms. In 2012, he co-founded Lewis & Llewellyn, a San Francisco-based litigation boutique. His firm has received numerous legal industry awards and accolades, and he is a rare breed in the legal world, trying cases to verdict on both the civil side for the plaintiff and defense, and on the criminal side for the prosecution and defense. And we are going to dig into this. I'm so excited to have him on to the show. There's so much about him that is absolutely amazing. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Deborah. I appreciate it. So a little bit for my audience, you know, Paul was introduced to me and he's a a lawyer, he's a litigator. And it's like, I've never had anybody like that on the show. But what I found so interesting is his book. We're going to get deep into his book, Unshackled, Reimagining the Practice of Law, because the lessons, the lessons that he talks about in this book are profound. And anybody, regardless of where you are in business, what your craft is, can learn amazing insights based on his experience in the legal system. So Paul, I'm so grateful to have you onto the show. Would love for you to share a bit about yourself personally as well as your business journey. Absolutely, Deb. So thank you for that kind introduction. So as you noted, I grew up in England. And so how did a kid from England end up being a litigator in, in California? And the answer to that, it was a TV show, LA Law. And it started in the mid 1980s. I was about 10 in England. And to me, it glamorized the practice of law. It was said at the fictitious law firm, McKenzie, Brackman, Cheney, and Kuzak. And they had the family lawyer, the criminal lawyer, the litigator. Now, in reality, very few firms have every type of lawyer, but but in LA law, they had every type of lawyer. And the great thing about LA law was every case lasted one episode, and most of the time, justice was served. And so to me, it looked like the most exciting, the most glamorous profession. So I announced to my mother, age 10, in England, I'm going to be a litigator in California. That's my dream job. That's what I'm going to be. And of course, very well, Paul, of course. (laughs) So I knew what I wanted to do. I just didn't yet know how I was going to achieve that. And so 
I always, from, from then on, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. And then in England, you study law as an undergraduate degree. So I studied law at, at Oxford. And then in my second year at Oxford, I found out about a program where a Los Angeles law firm would take an Oxford law graduate to spend a year at their law firm in Los Angeles as a law clerk. So this was my, my dream opportunity. I would get to experience LA law. So I applied and I was lucky enough to, to get the position. So I spent a year, I was immersed in the drama of LA law, of, of litigation in California. But my year was soon up. I, I went back to England and I uh, became the English equivalent of a trial lawyer. It's a barrister you may have seen with the wigs and gowns. And so I was a criminal prosecutor in England trying the equivalent of misdemeanor cases. And so it was a fantastic experience trying cases day in, day out. But the LA law itch was still there. And then after doing that for two or three years, I got a call out the blue from the LA firm that I clerked with saying they had a full-time position. Would I like to come out to LA full-time and be a lawyer in Los Angeles? And so it didn't take much, much thinking. And so I effectively, I was on the next plane to, to California. I took the California bar and then I joined the firm. And great experience was with that firm about six years and specialized in high-end plaintiffs business litigation. They twice won the highest verdicts in California, both over $100 million, both on an oral contract, so both on a spoken contract. So anyone who says that a, a verbal contract is not as good as a written contract, I have 100 million reasons to tell you why that's, that's not the case. So I'd, I'd had the criminal experience in England. I'd had the, the plaintiff's experience in this firm. I now wanted to round out my experience. So I wanted to, to get the defense experience, the big law defense experience. So I joined Latham & Watkins, which is the largest firm in California. I think now they've got close to 3,000 lawyers and primarily representing Fortune 100 companies and bet the company litigation. And I had a wonderful time at Latham. I was with them for five years. But the itch was there. I'd, I'd always wanted my own firm. Um, myself and Mark Lewis, another Latham lawyer, basically we decided it was our now or never moment. And so 2012, 11 years ago, we started our firm, Lewis and Llewellyn. We opened with no clients, so it's very much builded and hope they will come. So it was very much a leap of faith. And then fortunately, within the first hour of opening, we had our, we had our first clients. We now number 18 lawyers. Basically, we just hire the best and the brightest from the world's top law firms. So we take people from big law, the top law schools, and really people who, who are looking for something different, people who are looking to, to litigate. And we're fortunate, our client roster, you know, some of the, the world's largest, most well-known companies, but also because it's our own firm, we, we can also represent smaller companies. We can represent individuals. We're about 50-50 plaintiff and defense. So within business litigation, we really represent the, the whole gambit. And I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I love my job. I think I've got the best job in the world. I can't wait to get to work every morning. And, and that was really one of the impetus is behind writing the book. I wanted every lawyer to feel the same way about their job that, that I feel every day. Oh, wow. What a story. I've got so many questions in here. But one of my questions is you say, I love my job and TV makes being a lawyer seem glamorous. And I know you are grateful for all the opportunities you've had to work in larger law firms and then the good fortune of taking that leap of faith and forming you on. But is it really as glamorous as you had envisioned it while on TV as a child? I'm just curious. 
Yeah, interesting. To a certain extent, I wouldn't necessarily use the word glamorous, but I think as exciting. I think, you know, this is real life. We're retained as a lawyer. You're retained often at the most stressful times in people's lives. Like in my case, as a litigator, they've either bring the lawsuit or they've been sued. Their their business may be on the line. For a, a family lawyer, someone's getting divorced or a personal injury lawyer, someone's paraplegic. So really, you're taking one of the most stressful times in people's lives and you're putting it on your, your shoulders. And to me, as a litigator, there is no greater drama than a real life jury. You know, a jury gets to decide that to me is it doesn't get any more exciting than that. It's better than any any Hollywood production, any West End show. This is this is real life drama. And that's what I love about litigation. And just the battle as well, the intellectual battle. It's almost like an intellectual war of the other side. You've got to be three moves ahead. It's like a, a game of chess and you've always got to try and outmaneuver, outwit your opponent. And that's what I find so exciting about it. It's a parallel to what I do. So I'm in service to C-suite leaders who are going through some kind of challenge. And it is a very emotional time. And while I'm not not emotional, I am and can be emotional. It's that steady eddy, that calm that I have to exude while they're going through those challenges so that I can bring them successfully on the other side. Now, but I'm curious too, because there's the work that we need to do. You said it's the intellectual stimulation and the challenge, but how does one also stay impartial because of people's lives and livelihood and businesses are at stake? How do you divide that? I'm just curious. Yeah. I always tell clients, I will tell you the truth. I will always be honest with you. I'm not just going to be a yes man. I'm not just going to tell you what you want to hear. So you can always rely on me to give you my candid assessment of the case. You may not like it, but I will always be honest with you. Some clients take that better than others, but I'm always honest with clients. So data-driven, just the facts, that keeps the impartiality because you have to be there for them. You can't become part of what they're going through. All you can do is hopefully see them out on the other side. Exactly. Now let's talk about the itch. The itch where you said, I took a leap of faith and I and another colleague started the firm that you have now. I mean, what was it in you that said, I'm going to take that risk? Because I'm sure it was a lofty risk. There's so many people out there that are coming up in their career. They are talented, but they feel stuck or allow themselves to be stuck in the place that they're at, whether it's good or bad. What was it that you and your colleague that says, we can do this? I think because I was fortunate to have the different experiences, like I'd had three different career paths, criminal lawyer, plaintiff's lawyer, defense lawyer. And then I was sort of contemplating my next chapter, the next move. And really the firm I wanted, it didn't exist. And so myself and Mark Lewis, we decided we need to create this firm. And the, the core principles were we will deliver the highest quality legal services. We will go head to head with any firm in the country. And number two, we will treat each other, the, the culture, we will treat each other with respect. We will have fun doing it. This is a tough job. And there's no need where we can't support each other, can't have fun doing it. So they really were the, the core principles behind the, the firm. And and number three, as I've alluded to this, if we're fortunate enough to grow, we will hire similar people. There's many good lawyers out there, but we're looking for people that have that passion for litigation, that feel the same way about litigation that we do. So again, in our hiring practices, we, will, we won't just treat culture for granted. This will be a place where we treat people with respect that they want to come to work. And in 11 years, no one has ever left our firm to go to another law firm. 
Someone became a stay-at-home dad. Some people have changed careers, gone in-house. But we're very proud of that fact that in 11 years, no one has ever thought, gee, there's a better law firm. And that's something I'm, I'm very proud of. What I really like about this is that some people, whether they're forming their own business or even they're kind of at a transition point in their career, sometimes we need to pause and reflect and think about what are those core values that are non-negotiable in the way that I do my work or in the people that I associate with. So I love the fact deliver the highest quality, a culture of respect for others and to have fun. Once we ground ourselves in some of those values, not just put them on a wall and hope that they stick and other people adopt them, but they become your talking points and other people will feel it and other like people will come to you. So again, for people listening out there, if you've never really taken the time to define your core values and principles, write them down. They can evolve, they can change, but they are critical to that sustainable success that Paul has realized. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60% of leaders feel depleted at the end of the day. And this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others. If you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion, you know why CEOs are amongst the most likely candidates for experiencing job frustration. I wrote The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track, to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven-point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days, not months. And it includes so many resources, worksheets, videos, and much, much more. If this is you, please head over to my website, dropinceo.com and click on my products, The CEO's Compass, and order yours on Amazon or other outlets. And now back to the conversation. Now, this is the reason why I brought you on the book, Unshackled, Reimagining the Practice of Law. Why the book? Why did you write it? Why was it necessary? The system, the legal system is if not broken, very, very sick in this country. And many lawyers are unhappy. The rates of alcohol dependency, illicit substances, tragically suicide, far higher among lawyers than many, many other professions. The public don't like us. You know, if you're a cocktail party and you bring up lawyers, you're unlikely to get comments of admiration and respect, but probably are greedy or looks of disgust, etc. So the public don't like us and clients, you know, well, the legal system is it, broken. So, so many things in the legal system, I think, is it, broken, but, but rather than just accept it, well, that's the way it is. I want you to take various aspects of the legal system. Look, what's the problem here? And I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't be so arrogant to suggest I have all the answers. I absolutely don't. But I just wanted to start a conversation, how we train lawyers, how we service clients, how we treat each other as lawyers, the legal system as a whole. Even there's a chapter on gift giving, how we get clients. And these just areas, look, here's the problem here. And there is another way we can do better as a profession and we can serve the public better. But we need to at least start this conversation. So starting the conversation is a good reason to put your thought leadership out there, start a conversation. But what do you hope the impact ultimately is beyond just the conversation? I think people who are contemplating a career in the law, they really can go into it eyes wide open. I, certainly there's some of you saying, I wish I'd read this book when I was at law school. I wish this had been out there. I think so many lawyers, they just go along the set path. 
They don't like what they're doing. They don't like the area of law they're doing. They don't like their firm. Don't just accept the status quo. It's always fine to step back. Gee, do I even want to be a lawyer? That's fine to have that conversation. Um, what's wrong with the legal system? How do we bill clients? How do we service clients? These days, we can't compare ourselves to the law firm down the street. We need to compare ourselves to the Amazons, the Zappos, the Mandarin Orientals, the Ritz Carlton's of the world. I try to translate that into my law firm. I want every touch of my law firm to be a white glove concierge level service. So I think as lawyers, we need to think differently. We are salespeople as lawyers. And I know salespeople can get a bad rap. You think of, you know, car salespeople. That's all we're doing at the end of the day. We are selling our service. So how can we do better in attracting clients, in servicing clients? A couple of years ago, I went to the largest sales conference in the world in Las Vegas. I think there were 10,000 people there. I didn't meet another lawyer. There may have been one, but I didn't meet another lawyer. And I think too many lawyers, they don't think of that mentality. But at the end of the day, that's what we are. We're selling a product. We're selling a service. You know, it's interesting. That's the same thing I did when I started my own business. So often people would say, get your PowerPoint in order, get your business cards in order, update your website or create a website. And I realized at the end of the day, well, wait a second, I don't have any clients yet. And I've got to get my message out there. And then I realized, oh, what is my message and how can I distill it so that I show up every day with the same values and the same messages? And I've learned sales and marketing and building relationships is actually my priority versus just my services that we offer. But I want to come back. <laughs> so you talk about this book should be in law schools. You talk about creating a conversation, but ultimately there has to be an origin or a reason or a root cause for which law in the U.S. has arrived at a place that can be cutthroat, that people are not whole because of the, the pressure and et cetera. What is the root cause or causes for which we've arrived at that place? Because we have to unravel that and as well as create a conversation. Yeah, I think threefold, three pillars I'll talk about. Number one is how we train lawyers. It starts from law school. And I think, number one, going into the profession Rather than, you know, you go to law school, you're reading Supreme Court opinions, debating the constitutionality of law. That's not what it's like being a lawyer. We don't do that. You know, most of the time we're on the phone. We're servicing clients. You should be taught, how do you get clients? How do you service clients? So I think number one, it starts from the beginning, how we train lawyers. And then I think number two, sort of how we treat each other. I think culture is so important. I think many people come to me sometimes and say, I want an aggressive lawyer. I say, well, I've never had anyone come to me saying I want a mild-mannered litigator. I said, but do not conflate aggressive tactics with being aggressive. And so I often have to, to teach clients, look, there is a distinction here between banging your fist and shouting. That doesn't make for a good result. I get far better results at the end of the day when I treat my opponents with, with respect. Um, we get on. It results in lower bills for the clients. So... I think that's the second core principle. So we've got how we train lawyers. We've got sort of how we treat each other. And I think thirdly, the legal system as a whole, it's just expensive. It doesn't deliver. Um, it's not going to be a vote winner here, but we need to put more money into the, into the legal system. It's not a vanity project like a bridge or a, a new sidewalk or a new ferry service. But at, at the end of the day, it's so key to the functioning of society. So I think just pushing for a better resource, better funding for the legal profession 
one way or another, the legal profession will impact all of us at some point in our lifetime, whether someone passes away or, or you're in a car accident or you need a will and trust. So it's in all our interests for that system to serve us all. A, a big roadblock we got in the legal system as well is to a certain extent, we are set up for failure. And I talk about it in the book, but a classic example, the McDonald's coffee lawsuit. You mentioned the McDonald's coffee lawsuit and people roll their eyes. Oh, someone spilled hot coffee and they were awarded millions. But when you dig into the facts of the case, there've been nearly 800 reports of burns, serious burns from coffee in the preceding years. At the temperature McDonald's was allegedly serving coffee, it would cause burns in one to three seconds. The plaintiff in that case, she had burns over 16% of her body and the testifying physician said it's one of the worst instances of burns he'd ever seen. She was in hospital for eight days. She'd offered to settle for $25,000, which was reported McDonald's turned down. Ultimately, at trial, she was awarded in the 400000 so I believe it was $450,000, not the millions of dollars. But again, the butt of late night comedians, no one really wants to dig into the facts here. So, you know, we're set up for failure. There's another classic case that you can Google it. Someone tripped over their toddler in the department store and they sued the department store. It didn't happen. It was made up, but you Google it and it's there, this frivolous lawsuit. So again, a classic example of how we are set up for failure. We have to overcome that as lawyers. So you're the butt of late night comedy, unfortunately. Exactly. <laughs> hey, use it to your advantage to bolster, obviously, telling a great story. So... Just curious, starting a conversation, it's almost like the unshackled, the anti-litigator. It's just kind of going against the status quo and the cultures of so many. Have you ruffled any feathers along the way? Are our people, clients, others drawn to you because of your different view on how best to practice in the legal system? No one has told me to my face that I've ruffled feathers, <laughs> so I don't know. And uh -huh. if I have, I'm not going to apologize. I see it like it is. I'm not you know, insulting people in the book, I give a very clear eyed view, in my view, of the issues with the legal profession. So, like I said, if I have ruffled feathers, then no apologies from my camp. I'm certainly not doing it to be confrontational. I'm not trying to create confrontation here. But I don't think anyone with a straight face can say there are no issues with our legal system. Everything is perfect. No one could honestly say that with a straight face. So I am absolutely unapologetic. Well, kudos to you as a legal professional to put your thoughts out there. And I encourage those that are listening and whether you're interested in law or not, he writes it in such a way that's so easy to understand. It's very relatable. He's talking to you, putting in very relatable stories in there. The book is Unshackled, Reimagining the Practice of Law. We're going to have that in the show notes. Please make a note, get a copy. It's a fast and easy read. You're going to learn so much but I want to go into a particular chapter and you talk about it would be my pleasure, aka how we ought to be treating our clients. It makes common sense. We should be treating them with the utmost respect. But what have you seen and what do you advise? So what I've seen is every law firm out there says we put clients first. Everyone gives lip service to that concept. But the realities, I think, are very, very different. As I said, we are in the service culture. We're in the service industry, sorry. And that means we need to deliver to, to those clients. We do absolutely need to put the clients first. So simple gestures like being on time, responding a potential client emails, emails you with a potential case. I will drop everything to respond to that. That's the first touch of my firm. 
Whereas I've had potential clients, wow, you're the first person that's even responded to me. Like, what the hell are we doing here? And then once they've been retained, keeping them informed along the way, what's happening, managing expectations. This isn't rocket science, but so many firms fall, fall short of this. Now, I talk about in the book, ultimately, the goal, I think, of, of any law firm, of any company, is to make people members of your cult. And I, that always gets a bad rap. You think, oh, religious fanatics, you know, cults, you know, bad reputation. Let me give an example. Apple is a cult. Why else would people sleep out on a sidewalk to get the latest iPhone? Nike is a cult. Why else would people pay hundreds of dollars for the latest Air Jordans? And so to me, all a cult means they are a fanatic in a good way advocates of your company, of your firm, putting the word out there. And then it's not just you putting yourself out there. You have got these satisfied customers, these satisfied clients spreading the word about your company. Another thing I talk about in the book is gifting. So I'm always shocked every holiday in December, I get an e-card from various companies or various firms. Okay, The last thing I want in life is another email. Yet these, these companies, often they're multi-billion dollar law firms, they're sending out an e-card that you click on, happy holidays from you know X, Y, and Z, major law firm. I'm thinking, is that the best you can do? You're a multi-billion dollar organization and you think that's going to drive business to your firm because you've sent me an email. So one thing we focus on our firm is, is gifting. We don't send gifts in December because straight away we get lost in the crowd. So we typically send gifts in March or April and then September, October. We agonize over these gifts. Literally, we have meetings about <laughs> the thickness of the tissue paper, what the box is going to look like, how it's going to feel. So we just send gifts where everyone gets an air tag with our logo. They get a luggage tag with everyone's initials monograms on the luggage tag. And we we get good feedback from that. People said, this is the best gift I've ever received from, from a law firm. I'm a, a big fan of uh, the book Giftology, the art of gift giving. And again, firms aren't, you know, this can apply to any firm, any company, but don't just follow the pack. Don't just do it because this is what everyone else is doing. You know, step back here. How can we differentiate ourselves? Again, how can every touch of my firm be a delightful experience? so that ultimately people become members of our firm's cult. Mm, I love that. You know, the interesting thing is cult has a negative connotation. But again, at the end of the day, we are all trying to stand out, to differentiate ourselves and get advocates and a following, because then that is kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. If people are satisfied, if they remember you, if they're talking about you, warm referrals will be coming to you. And again, it may be the long road. It may be harder to do that not following what the others do, but ultimately you build a sustainable model that people will talk about your company to others for a long, long time. Beautiful. And, and again, so many people don't know that, you know, we kind of lose our identities. If we're working for a larger company, we simply adopt the identity of that company. And yes, we are in support and loyal to that. But I think sometimes we lose ourselves and we as humans have to remember that it's about building relationships. We do business with humans. We want to be memorable. So standing out in any way is important and it is just good business and treating clients and others with respect. So this has been an amazing interview. There are 
chapters we didn't go in, but I think you have summarized them greatly. And I do wish you success with this book and hopefully others will follow, will read it, and others will be drawn to your work. But are there any last comments that you would like to share with our audience before we bring it to a close? Yeah, I think if I had had to distill my message to, to one sentence, it would really be don't settle. Don't adopt the status quo. Don't just do it because this is how everyone else is doing it. And like I said, this doesn't just apply to law firms. This applies to every company out there. And so really decide what you want, chase it. And really, in my view, it's the only way to live with with passion, with with dedication. So that would be my my takeaway message. Just Just go for it. Well, thank you. That was inspirational because, again, some people feel stuck, feel like they don't have choices. But at the end of the day, if we have a unique gift, a unique thought, presence, and we're just a little bit different, shout high, shout loud, <laughs> and let others know because people will take notice if you respect people, treat them right, and reimagine how we do life. So I want to wish you, well, much success, Paul. And I just want to thank you again for dropping in on the Drop In CEO podcast. Thanks for having me, Deb. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who will find it useful and inspiring. When you share this podcast, it allows me to continue to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate their challenges with confidence. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.